listening to Nerds on Film with Roxy Noberry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. Uh, TGI Friday, everybody. Seriously. Not, Yay. Yeah, not just a restaurant chain, but legitimately. Potato skins and Jack Daniels ribs, yo. <laughs> <laughs> there are still a few Fridays left, right? I'm not crazy. Like, I know they've been closing them a lot, but there are still Fridays, right? You mean fr- days of the week? As in, like, the <laughs> Gregorian calendar? As in, like, the apocalypse is Sorry, happening? Sorry, I was March. context changing. I was talking about days of the week, <laughs> then I was also talking about the restaurant me change. There for a second. <laughs> yeah, we you have Monday, only- Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday now. We don't have yeah, Fridays. You know the only day of the week, your work week, that doesn't make you want to kill everyone? We're taking it away. We're taking it away. Fridays have been canceled. <laughs> yeah. Now Thursday's just twice as long. <laughs> Which is great for NBC programming in the 90s. So, yeah. you know, it's funny. I was at an all-day, uh, well, sorry, sorry it's a half-day, like, training uh, seminar for, for work. And uh, we were talking about, uh, the thing is overall talking about social learning, which is to say learning uh, literally about social skills, because some of the students at our school um, need training on that. So mm-hmm. we talked about, like, using the example of, Elevator rules. What are the unspoken rules of an elevator? No and, touching. And so there's that. And there's like you don't hit all the buttons at once. And then you don't finally, fart. don't fart. Don't fart. Right. And then finally, the <laughs> the person said like the facilitator said, uh, no, no talking. And then like we kind of debated that. I said, no, you can talk. It's like, but you keep it to light chat. Like you don't go in an elevator and say, you ever wake up feeling like you have no purpose in this world? Like you don't, you don't start <laughs> a conversation like that. Well, between the first and fifth floors of a building, it's just it's. It's not good. Unless you're on your way up to the top floor of the building <laughs> to do something on the top floor. If that's like the slowest elevator in the world, maybe you can have that conversation. But most time people were just like, hit the emergency button. Where's the emergency Honestly, button? Yeah. I would take that as a crisis moment. <laughs> exactly. And like, because they're in an elevator going up asking you about like life's purpose. My <laughs> assumption is they're trying to throw themselves off the roof. Well, thankfully, I actually wow. said, so I actually said that. And thankfully, everyone took it as a joke, which it was in, as it was intended, and everyone laughed. But then some person, <laughs> some person followed up and said, "Hit the emergency button! Hit the emergency right. button!" Yeah, the emergency. You, you hit the been... emergency stop, and then you say, "Pop quiz, hot shot." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys ever been stuck in an elevator before? Um, no, Negative. thank God. Me neither. Oh my God, I can only imagine. That imagine, would be freaky. See, I've been I, stuck in a bathroom once, stuck though. In an, Sean an, an elevator. I just wanted to end in sex. So Sean was at. Ba- so I was about eight or nine years old, and Sean was at baseball practice at a park. Uh, that was, um, it was a ballpark that was on the grounds of a school. And so I went to use the bathroom, and as I was in the bathroom, I was in one of the stalls, and the janitor had actually locked the bathroom for the day um, while I was inside. And so I was trying to open the door, and I started freaking out. And <laughs> like oh I, I was, Sean, I think, remembers this. I was freaking out, screaming, started crying. And the janitor... Thankfully, they caught my dad and a couple of the people with the baseball team caught the janitor as he was leaving. He almost fucking got in his car and went home. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, oh dude. No, God. we would have just taken out a Desert Eagle and blown the lockout and be like, Brian, back up. <laughs> Brian, back up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you going to say you're going to blow up the bathroom with Brian in it? <laughs> no. And that's one of many stories that my brother uh, has from his childhood. Including one where we thought he was kidnapped when really he was encased in a jacket lying on a bench. And we all thought he was murder raped somewhere. 
And he's there are so many different things where either he's stressed out or we're all stressed out around him that have programmed Brian for stress. Oh, and Brian. it's and it's reasons like this that I now think am now starting to in my mid thirties realize. Oh, maybe I have an anxiety problem. Maybe <laughs> just a little bit. Just maybe. <laughs> yeah, just a wow. little bit. Jesus Welcome Christ. to 2019. Yeah, no Good kidding. Day. Glad you caught up with us. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, well, it's not like you had that stressful of a of a week. Though, I mean, it's not like you're trying to pass the 13th Amendment or something. Oh, waka my waka. God. Waka waka. Waka waka. Uh, and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Roxy Noberry. And I'm Sean Moriarty. Gina, 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 um, couldn't be here. Damn, Gina! And the reason why she couldn't be here, she's been out for the last episodes. You're probably wondering, is she okay? Oh, my God. Is Gina, is Gina, is Gina quickly in the show? Oh my god! She's I, I love Gina. With her vagina. Literally, she is in a production of the Vagina Monologues. Um, that she's is in a vagina. Yeah, so she's in the Vagina Monologues, and she is uh, actually. I think tonight's her opening night. If I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, break a leg, Gina. Exactly. We wish her well. She's doing that through her college, and um, so that's the reason why she hasn't been here. I'm hoping, hoping, hoping she will be back for our Oscars episode. Um, I think she should be. I don't see any reason why she shouldn't. We kind of all clear our schedules for that night. But, you know, who knows? I can't, I can't do the Oscars night because I will be participating in our local performance of the Dick Soliloquies. Oh, <laughs> you're dead to me. You're dead to yeah. me, Sean. You weren't there last year. You're not here this year. <laughs> the hell with you! <laughs> Sorry, the dick soliloquies are important to me. We all just read one hour. Each of us reads an hour. There's four of us, so it's a four-hour show. <laughs> and we each read an hour of Joe Rogan ranting on his podcast. Yeah, uh, this performance <laughs> is uh, this per- performance is uh, sponsored by the website We Killed the Mammoth, um, as well as such illustrious um, men's rights activists as uh, Richard Spencer. So, oh, my God. <laughs> and Viagra. <laughs> and Viagra. <laughs> And Spike TV, um, Spike TV. which is, is Spike still around? I can't even remember. I think they transitioned to Paramount Television. That's right, it did because yes. Spike TV was a little too uh, misogynistic. The Spike TV Awards? Uh, no. no, thank God, <laughs> I don't. An the award, award for best tits goes to the front <laughs> row over here. <laughs> Close enough, dude. Their award statuette was literally antler horns. Like bronzed antler horns. That oh. was their statuette. Oh, Jesus. So the award winners would walk around with basically a weaponized <laughs> statuette. Stick them with a sharp end. So fucking Lincoln happened, and I think that's why we're here. Because <laughs> it's Spielbaguary. Don't forget to call your mother. Yeah, right, and I also think Bob's it's burgers. funny. I just think it's funny that you know we're dropping this on President's Day, so we were like literally talking about what movie should we talk about. Oh wait, this is an opportunity for a good for Lincoln, uh, bro. for a marketing alignment um, with our release date. So let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, Brian, the 16th I like president. It when you basically like what's the word called where you over-explain everything? Um. I don't know what it is Pontificate. called. Can you Brian it up? <laughs> I Brian, yes, I do. When I when Brian it up, because you know, I overexplain everything. It's a mix of exposition. Exposition. It's, it, no, it's a mix of pontification and masturbation. That's what it is. Yeah, I I just I overexplain things because I can't handle the cold cold silence. Um, that pontification. <laughs> we just made a new word. Brian, stop pontificating. 
<laughs> Pontificating. Well, happy President's Day, everybody. Happy President's Day. Yay, Indeed. You get an extra Brian, day off for no president. reason. Brian. Liam Neeson's your favorite president, Sean? Liam Neeson, oddly enough, was gonna fucking play Lincoln in this movie when they were originally talking about it in 1999. And I was like, that's a great person for Lincoln. Friend of all black men, Liam Neeson, (laughs) being the man that got the 13th Amendment passed. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, Liam Neeson's kind of getting beaten to shit right now in the media, but I mean... That's and that to me that's just really sad because it was him talking about a moment where he he had grown. He talked about how he had, was working through his prejudice, and yet people were like, "Well, you fucking said something way back then. Or you did something way back then, so we're angry at you now." Yep. And well, there's with a, those assholes online. There's literally no path to forgiveness. Contrition means nothing. No path to forgiveness. You are just a pariah now. Well, anyway, um, I actually think <laughs> Liam Neeson is better casting just because by virtue of the fact that he is closer to physical resemblance to what we know Lincoln looked like and in height. Yeah. I mean, Lincoln was fucking huge. He was like six foot six, six foot five. And Liam Neeson is six foot five. So, and this was in like the 1860s when everybody was three foot 11. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, wait, no, that was Jesus times. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank Jesus you. Times. Yeah, no, it was, it was fairly common. I think the the common height at that point in history was like between five eight and five ten, so still pretty tall in comparison. It's Very like tall because in like yeah. a, what was Lincoln's deal though with his height? What was his whole issue? Uh, scoliosis. He had scoliosis. But so. that would make a person crooked, not taller. Uh, no, but I mean, did he have like growth hormone? I don't. Yeah, I I guess I guess his mom was feeding him the right milk. Um, but. <laughs> Rice and beans. Whatever it was. Oh, but he did also have scoliosis, which is uh, why he had back problems and why he had uh, other problems as well. But this isn't necessarily a history podcast, not anymore. So we're going to talk about the film and what, it, what our takeaways are from it and how it's weird because I think Spielberg was in, he started getting into this phase and he's in this phase currently in his career where because of Schindler's List, like it, that being his first historical film that was successful, he's kind of gone on this tear of, well, this is what I'm really good at now, so I'm going to fall back to these stories. And he kind of hasn't really, I mean, he occasionally does a movie that's not in that ballpark anymore. Like he potentially, he occasionally goes back through his blockbuster theme or his. And his other. Other ones that we've, other ones that he's done that are that are historical, kind of uh, either bio, biopics, biopics, or other are, of course, you got Saving Private Ryan, but that's totally fictional, but you know, based around a lot of real events, and then I Bridge mean, the of Spies, is, but yeah, the Post was so fucking good, and right? Warhorse, yeah. yeah, yeah, Warhorse, Warhorse was great. I just think if you literally, literally look at his track record for the last ten years, it's been like, or the last fifteen years, it's literally been ninety percent historical dramas with the occasional non-historical movie like the terminal and like the bfg like everything else has had Mm -hmm. some sort of historical context to it even catch me if you can Mm -hmm. which is you know a debatable true story about frank abagnale um they're all none of them take place in a contemporary time (laughs) time period and i find that really fascinating that i'm not sure if that's him being self-aware of what he's of what movies of his will sell or if that's what he can get made because of Schindler's List and because of um, 
you know, I think that's probably why he got this film in the first place. And granted, he was developing this movie for a long time before it actually got made. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just have been thinking lately about how in the last, you know, decade or so, I feel like Spielberg's most successful films are definitely his historical dramas. And the ones that are more based in fiction are just way too outlandish for me. BFG was a real, real just uh, clusterfuck, I guess is the nicest way to put it. And uh, I, I could not connect with it whatsoever. But then I go back to Spielberg of the 80s, Spielberg, Spielberg of the 90s, where it's all fantasy and fiction, and I am totally hooked. I don't know what it is about the last 10 years or so of his, his work for me, but something about his historical dramas, I mean, Lincoln definitely being the perfect example of his masterful filmmaking just really, really just ringing true and ringing beautifully. Right. And, and really being flawless films, honestly. Right. And let's also not forget, of course, Ready Player One was another one of his um, non-historical films. And that's his, actually his most recent one. Now that but I think that about one it. itself was met with a lot of mixed reviews. Exactly, exactly. Mostly so let's because not... the fanboys and fangirls that love the book so much didn't want to see anything different. They're like, just play out the entire thing I've read six times already. And it's like, no, he wanted well, yeah. I mean, something different. Gina has a perfect argument as to why. But you, you, t- you've heard Gina talk ad nauseum about Ready Player One and how her feelings about that are very strong because the message behind the the meaning of of those characters, like with um. The, the, fe- the female protagonist, Artemis. Mm-hmm. The fact is that she was supposed to be more of a regular, uh, relatable character. Instead, they pick this, you know, Hollywood uh, pretty girl. Not to say that her performance wasn't anything but tough and, and pretty. She had a scar, great. damn it. She was pretty, though. Like, there was nothing <laughs> spectacular about her. And I think she had to kind of overcompensate as a result. And it just... It, w- it was more about the aesthetic than it was about the relationship. And I just, I don't know. I got, I got Gina's point, though. Right. But now, whereas with Lincoln, you have, I think, a very earnest attempt to try to recreate maybe not so much the historical events. I mean, the historical events are fairly accurate. Um, but we, there's a fairly earnest attempt to try to recreate what Lincoln, w- who he actually was and what he actually <laughs> looked like and how he actually spoke. Are you uh, talking about from Spielberg's perspective yes, or it's, yes, from it's, Daniel Day-Lewis's perspective? Because Daniel Day-Lewis spent like three years talking yeah. and walking like Lincoln. Well, <laughs> I mean, he here's the thing. He hundred books about Lincoln. He read <laughs> everything yeah. Lincoln wrote. Yeah, oh, but God. here's the thing. Spielberg is such a taskmaster when it comes to a performance, to getting a performance from an actor, that yes, you do have a master like, like Daniel Day-Lewis who w- is a hardcore method actor and will spend years doing research if necessary to nail a character, as Sean was just saying. But at the same time, Spielberg is so nitpicky and like he will like literally granularly tell you exactly what to do in each shot mm. that I, it, I almost think that if someone wins an acting award to, um, to one of his films, that he, there's a reason why he gets thanked is because he literally helps craft that performance. You know, I, yeah, I have a feeling, though, when you look at because I watched a bunch of interviews today with uh, Spielberg and Daniel Day-Lewis both being there. And you can tell, like, if, if you have an actor and, and Steven Spielberg doing junkets, like, together, and these interviews together, uh, especially ones in front of, like, the actor studio or something, when they're doing things like that together, usually mm-hmm. you can see the actor looking at Steven Spielberg with uh, a certain higher level of reverence. And Spielberg always, you know, always kind of, you know, scratching the back of the actor and being like, oh, the actor was... but. 
in these interviews, you could see that this was a true collaboration between the two of them because Steven Spielberg marvels at what Daniel Day-Lewis can do almost more than I think is reciprocated the other way. Like Daniel Day, like I think that in this case, I think he's like, no, oh, I didn't have to nitpick that much because Daniel Day Lewis just fucking nailed every single moment, almost every single moment. I imagine right. it can't be that absolutist, yeah. <laughs> and and it's also Daniel Day Lewis is also known for being very self-effacing when it comes to his work. Mm. His work, he's very much, but yeah. You can argue that Daniel Day Lewis is more attached to Paul Thomas Anderson than he ever ever is to Spielberg. So. I mean, I'm sure he has his opinions about Spielberg, but you you would never catch him speaking that way about uh, PTA. I mean, sure, yeah, I'm sure that <laughs> yes, they're they are more like artistically aligned. Um, and I guess that's true. But he's also, I mean, Daniel Day Lewis has been in. I think that was this is his only Spielberg movie, right? Mm-hmm. But he's only you know, done and he's just, done two I, of PTA's I, films. It's it's very simple. I I just get along better with directors whose films mostly make you want to cut yourself after. <laughs> That was Daniel Day-Lewis talking about P.T. Anderson. Thank you for laughing, oh both of you, so hard. It was, uh, it was great. Oh, my God. Stop. Uh, um, <clears throat> so where do we start with this film? I mean, it's, it kind of starts with a punch in the face because you're literally watching, you're literally watching like the thick of the Battle of Gettysburg where people are, and it's yep. like pouring rain and it's so beautiful people shot. are. It is, well, yes, I mean, everything Spielberg does is beautifully shot. But, oh, like, yeah. it's a very, I mean, he's done war before, but he seems to find a different way to portray war in every single movie. And I think that's why he likes to show uh, different wars when he does each movie. I think with the exception of 1941 being a World War II movie, and he did World War II <laughs> with Saving Private Ryan. Was that a World War II movie, or was that just a really long Saturday Night Live sketch that went awry? I mean, there's that, oh. too. That is that too, but um, I just I like that he challenges himself to show it because where you have like the the frenetic nature of World War Two that he shows in Saving Private Ryan, and you have uh, a slightly more a slightly different approach with War Horse, you have a completely like he literally just has the camera. It feels almost stationary. I know it's not, but it feels almost stationary, and it's from a wide distance as you're just watching these guys just massacre each other, and it's it's a very and I interesting approach. Something. Sorry to interrupt. I I just I noticed something in scenes like that that Spielberg also likes to utilize very very wide angle lenses so that you can focus in because it's you could get a huge amount of that battlefield with actors and it's got to be so challenging with that many actors out there. Just thinking about how one could accidentally look at the camera or somebody could trip in a way that they weren't supposed to trip. So you just do those big wide angles and then you can focus in and do slow pans and make it look like that was originally where the shot was framed when you're just kind of gathering a whole bunch of, I mean, because even in 2012, they were already using above 4K cameras. So you right. could get real, real close in on uh, zooming in on certain areas. Right, and sp speaking of camera movement, dear Jesus, this movie, <laughs> I think there's not a single boardroom scene as I will call it because it's not really boardroom scenes it's just indoor scenes but there's I think whenever there's a scene with a long table Spielberg is always slowly either doing like a dolly out or he's doing some sort of camera movement or having the cinematographer do some sort of camera movement throughout the movie and it's I know for some people I remember when Dave first saw it, he was talking about how that it started to get very annoying but I think with people like us where we start to see the the technical aspects of the movie more than than the average moviegoer, um, we kind of just have to give ourselves like let give ourselves a pass and like not nitpick it so much. But everything I about got a this theory on those shots. 
Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I well, I in watching the featurettes and stuff, just watching how the set designers and everybody painstakingly made everything so perfectly period recreated uh recreated the wallpaper from the white house the because back in when this movie when the movie set the white house was a different layout of course and lincoln lived uh in the entire top level was like the president's quarters it was where he and his family lived and that's where his office was they went by pictures and all these other accounts and they like painfully recreated everything so i think those slow panning shots over the table they were showing how like every item on that table was accurate to certain photos and and to like what in in during the time they said there would be these maps and this stuff and it was like maybe it was a love letter to the set designers to be like i want you to have to see all these things and pay attention to them as we slowly pan across (laughs) this table of perfection well also oscar bait (laughs) yeah no kidding and like here's the thing like Spielberg has a, a, a set machine of people he tends to work with. And so I need to, we need to mention this. In this case, it uh, pertains to Janusz Kaminski. Because mm, Janusz, Janusz. Janusz Kaminski is an amazing cinematographer who he mm. frequently works with. And Michael Kahn uh, is an editor who he frequently works with. Um, in fact, I think they've worked on most of their movies within the last 25, 30 years, with one or two exceptions. Uh, and then, of course, John Williams. Right. John Williams mm-hmm. tends to score almost all of Spielberg's uh, movies. I mean, now that's changing up a bit since um, John Williams is pretty much ready what to retire. What a bunch of but... menches. Right. And that's the thing Hell is yeah. like these guys are such a it's such a high level of their craft mm. that, you know, they could honestly they could have there could be no script. And granted, the script is written by Tony Kushner, Tony winning mm-hmm. uh, playwright and screenwriter as well. The, the the level of talent to make this movie is just, just like yes. unbelievable. Is unparalleled. We should talk about the the screenplay because the screenplay was in the making from 1999 until like 2009 when they started pre production. Like the the original script was like 700 pages, I think they said, and it was covering almost the Jesus. entire span. Yeah, as I think that was the original script, and of course they were going to cut it down, but it focused a lot on the entire like his entire presidential career. And then that's when they were approaching Liam Neeson. And they actually approached Daniel Day-Lewis, showed it to him, and he was like, I don't. At the time, Daniel Day-Lewis said that it was such a daunting task to, to play somebody who's been lionized and essentially, you know, and, 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 and both he and Spielberg both mentioned that, you know, their challenge was to make this movie about a man because Lincoln has become the monument that they have to him in, in Washington, D.C. Like, he is more than a man. He is a monument. So they needed to kind of scale it back a little bit. And at the time, in 99... Daniel Day-Lewis was like, I don't want the responsibility of being this representation of one of the greatest figures in American history. I don't even have my second Oscar yet. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then they ended up cutting it down. And I think that it was it was once um, because, I mean, to even go back, the story started when the lady that wrote the book, uh, Team of Rivals, I believe it was called, which is mm-hmm. about the last four months of, of Lincoln's career or Lincoln's right. uh, presidency before he died. Uh, she was kind of writing about how the 13th Amendment got passed. And he was like, I want the the book wasn't even done yet. And he said, I want the rights to the hmm. movie. So, you know, that he was a way, way before. I think they wanted to incorporate that later on when he brought the book to Tony and said, I think we need to kind of hone this down. And And the fact that they focused on that very key four months of Lincoln's career really... Yeah, I mean, because that's such a stressful time. And there's so many emotional moments that you can really get a fully fleshed out human picture of Lincoln in just that amount of time. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that you bring that up too because this is very much a political drama because it's really it is really a much very much about getting the votes behind the Thirteenth Amendment and the poll drama exactly, and it feels almost Sorkin esque, like in some of the in some of the ways that I mean, there's no one walking down hallways. Um, <laughs> but no one turning corners with an entire horde of people behind them. Exactly. If it was a Sorkin movie, Alice and Janney would have played Mary Todd Lincoln. Yeah, and they would have man. had, which Touché. would have been great because you would have had a Mary Todd Lincoln that was as tall as Lincoln. Yeah, but Who particularly Jackal, like killer. Yeah, but particularly, um, I think in James Spader's portrayal, um, of W. N. Bilbo, him, yeah. his like moving and shaking to literally try to get the votes felt almost to me it felt almost sorkin-esque um and i just thought that and was james very spader interesting is a fucking treasure in this movie james spader is, is my second favorite person in this movie after daniel day lewis is lincoln well also tommy just be yeah and also just well tommy lee jones is great too but james spader deserves a note because this is so unlike the other characters he usually plays in films yeah. he kind he kind of has this archetypical um educated snarky character and it's Ultron. He's fucking yeah. Ultron in every movie. <laughs> right. And this is, this guy is just so not bad at all. He's almost gross in his manner. Like the first time you see him eating him, he's like dirty and he's like mangling a lobster. And like, mm. you know, and it's like, and that's a really great way to introduce him because you, you pretty much, Spielberg is so good at pretty much when you introduce a character, you can pretty much get everything you need to know about the character from the first shot of him. And very much so, Spader's portrayal of Bilbo is captured in that opening scene. Can we just talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt for half? You know, it's so funny you say that because I was going to talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt next as well. So hot. He's so cute. He's such a cutie. I want to. He's hot in every period. He's hot in the 1860s. He's hot in the future. Oh my god. Oh, my stars and goddess. Oh god. The one I don't know why, but for some reason, the one scene I think of when I think of um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is for some reason just the in the telegraph room, like the telegraph like area. Um, and I guess the reason why it resonated so much with me is like, holy shit, this was the first war in which the telegraph was used, you know? <laughs> and I, just because like that's a that's a huge step forward. This is where we're starting to actually see electrical technology being used in warfare, and it sped up communications considerably. And that's just me as the history nerd. Thinking and you know about what, that, though, that speaks to Spielberg's historian streak. That he is a film historian at his core. Like the man is basically responsible for having several films preserved by the you know preservation people. I don't know what the the preservation. They take the DVDs and they put them in a jar of formaldehyde <laughs> and put them on the shelf at the Smithsonian. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean, though. Spielberg is basically at the helm of that. I think the word, efforts. yeah, I think the word you're looking for is an archivist. Um, okay. Yeah, their job is to like preserve and catalog and then stow away <laughs> information. Well, he is the subject um, of many an archivist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Um, also, can we talk about David Strathairn for a second? Because Let's do it, baby. Yep. This dude doesn't really act much anymore, and when he does, it's really like a, a treasure to see. Also very what interesting. Was the last thing he was in? Uh I can't recall. Actually, I'm pulling up his IMDb right now. He's um, the guy who fights for actually, the ladies it, baseball in a league of their own. That's my favorite role that he's in. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he did that. But uh, the last movie that I see credited for him was the 2014 uh, Godzilla movie. Uh, and, of course, he was Ed- Edgar- uh, Edward R. Morrow in uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, so interesting to me because William Seward was Lincoln's Secretary of State. And the Secretary of State at that point in U.S. history was a very different role because it wasn't as much of a diplomatic... I mean, it was a diplomatic role, but it, it was more... We have to remember that, like, they were, at that point in history, were second in line to the presidency after the vice president. So they were a much closer advisor uh, in the chain of command. Um, so mm-hmm. having him be that advisor during the Civil War and during trying to get the amendments passed, I thought was very, very interesting to see because we're literally, again, we're seeing a part of th- that office function in a way that just doesn't do that anymore. So that was interesting. And- oh, my God, you guys. I just read that the, one of the reasons Liam Neeson dropped out was because of the death of his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah that's very oh. possible. And also by the, they went back to him when they started, uh, I think before pre-production and he he was under the impression that he was far too old for the role. And I'm like, yeah, but he's only 58. Yeah. And Lincoln was 55, 56 at most. I know. Yeah. And Daniel Day-Lewis looks older and they mention it in the movie too, where one of my favorite lines is when, uh, when Grant and he are, are sitting on a porch and Grant looks at him and he goes, essentially you look like you've aged 10 years in the last year because it had been a year since they saw each other uh lincoln was completely i mean if you think the presidency ages people quickly when you have (laughs) a bloody war where hundreds of thousands of americans are dying because americans are on both sides that has to tear you up inside and i think that daniel day lewis conveying uh Conveying that while maintaining stoicism and even the 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 joking, the way that Lincoln used to joke. I mean, we don't think about him because that's not kind of that's not how he's presented to us when we're learning about Lincoln in school. But mm-hmm. if you just start delving into learning about Lincoln, it doesn't take you very long to figure out. Holy shit, he was kind of a joker, and he really made people laugh, and he was really good at using humor to kind of cut through uh, some of the tension, especially in one of the most tense times in American history. Yeah, yeah and I, you know, I just think it's interesting when we talk about, you know, him being a jokester, and we talk about Lincoln being this very um, kind of like charismatic individual. You, we have to think you know, that must have been a key factor in what got him elected because he was elected as a congressman to the presidency. We don't see in the modern era, era that happen very much. In fact, I can't think of it of any time in at least the last hundred years where a man has been elected president who wasn't at least a governor or a senator, minus, yeah. of course, or, the current or, president. Or, or, or a reality TV show star with a bunch <laughs> of failed businesses. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, I just that that is and I think it's cool to see that we see Lincoln portrayed with that levity. I also want to call out the level of restraint that Daniel Day Lewis portrays Lincoln with. Of course, that's also in the script. But even when he is losing his shit in the boardroom again like in the the white house and he's talking about how the fate of the country is literally in our hands even then he's not like necessarily yelling he's the only time he ever like yells is when he's having that fight with sally field <laughs> he's yelling at his wife exactly yeah. where well, like yeah, it was the, and it was larger than the country it was the fate of human decency is in our hands <laughs> exactly and you're right and then of course shortly after you do have that fight with uh, 
with Mary Todd Lincoln. And that's a super intense scene, too, because they're talking about their younger son, their son that had died and how they're talking about how, you know, Mary essentially was talking about how she should have been put me back in the like put me in the nut house like you wanted me to Mm. because I just curled up into a ball and didn't want to see anybody. And he was like. I want to do too. I just compartmentalized it because I had to because the country's falling the fuck apart. Yeah, and then he almost claimed I should have put you back in that hospital. And she's like, well, this time do it and don't lie about it. Don't just do it. It was great, which is really sad because unfortunately Mary Todd Lincoln did end up in a mental hospital or mental institution after Lincoln died because losing one of her children and then losing him just she went batshit crazy unfortunately of course so no brian come on man don't say it like that sorry it it was oh yeah you forgot you have a mental health professional here that's essentially the n-word to them you can't say crazy sorry no i'm just saying look at the context it's all historical context well yeah and you have to think that yeah there there was there were no ways there wasn't a lot of research and there wasn't a lot of of resources she could take advantage of in the time she was a woman yeah. Can we also yep, call out the fact that, that can we also call out the fact that she was never once referred to as first lady? She was Isn't referred that fucked up? No, Madam not President. at all. She was referred to as Madam President because it was Ooh. common it was common to address the the wife of the president as Mrs. President or Madam President. I'm like that's actually pretty badass. I yeah, know. Well, there's, and they highlight that when Tommy Lee Jones comes in and is like, "What's up, slut?" And she's like, "It's Madam President." <laughs> exactly. Still, I think it's just sad how her life ended on such sad circumstances. And no, it is. And I'm not trying to make. I honestly was not trying to make light of it. But I mean, she did have a mental breakdown essentially because of well, losing two thirds of her family. You know. She so, was chronically depressed, though. I mean, there's yeah. such a thing as, as the grief process taking as long mm-hmm. as it did, which I loved how Sally Field really tapped into that. I mean, the, Sally Field herself deserved that nomination. The woman gained a significant amount of weight just to be able to physicalize. Pounds. Just to be able to physicalize Mary Todd. Yep. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful effort. And if anything, if your acting scene partner is Daniel Day-Lewis, I think you're going to pack the pounds on, too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, because people forget that, you know, uh, there's physiological differences between the sexes and yeah. it is much harder <laughs> it's for a, a woman to. Lo- it's not like Christian Bale where he's like, yeah, I gained 80 pounds and then lost 100 after that in like three weeks because I'm Christian Bale. Right. No, it's really hard to lose that afterwards. Yeah, and it's, so like, it's, it's, it's just like task. It's just like I kind of wanted to see like them introducing each other and like, um, hello, I am I'm Daniel Day Lewis. Um, get on my level. Um, like, <laughs> basically, you know, Get on my level. What? <laughs> you guys want to talk about the music because I feel like this is an unsung score by John Williams. Of course, we have yeah. John Williams paired up with Steven Spielberg, but it's it, it didn't Pitbull. stick with. It, it's not like okay, it's not Jaws. It's not something that's so catchy that it sticks with you, or like the 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 Indiana Jones soundtrack where it's a soundtrack that you hear in your head automatically as soon as you think about the movie. It's not but, iconoclastic. But no, but it's I think that it's underrated because the just the perfect way that he conveys the gravitas of what's happening in the country and what's happening in these conversations. He's subtle enough when it's necessary, and even in the subtlety in certain times where it's like, okay, this is a quiet moment, but you need to be fucking scared is insanity. Yeah. How, uh, and, and I also love his little touch that John Williams had where he was like, you know what? Let's have my buddies at the Chicago Symphony actually perform this 
because and, and I was like, oh, nice, the Chicago Symphony. That's one of the best ones. But they did that on purpose because Illinois was the first state to ratify the 13th Amendment. So they thought it would be proper. Yeah, and it was also, of course, it was also Lincoln's home state as well. So, wow. of course. Yes. Yeah. So Keeping it on home plate. Oh exactly. My God. You know what? Like that word gravitas. Honestly, that word defines this movie. It, this this yeah. movie is 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 the embodiment of that word. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's why it's so it's such a heartfelt film, no? Yeah, it, very much so. It's funny because we were talking about John Williams' score, and I actually felt the score of his was kind of. And don't get me wrong, please don't like don't because you're gonna say you shut your whore mouth when I say this. But <laughs> yeah, um, I'm ready for it. But I actually felt like it was very phoned in. But here's you shut the, your whore mouth. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing, because I was listening to the score of the movie, and I'm thinking this sounds very like American symbolic metal ceremony, very heroic sounding. Mm. But the thing is, when you're John fucking Williams, <laughs> your phoned in score is going to sound a million times better because you're John Williams. And there's just certain yeah. things, the way he does things is just so honed and so well well tuned that him even going for an uninspired take on the score still uh, sounds your great. Opinion. Your, your opinion, opinion, dude. I thought it was way better than didn't he win for Warhorse? And I thought that score, I was like, this sounds like it could have been anyone. Are you guys this serious? one had more of a John Williams touch on it. Are you serious right now? I completely disagree. I'm sorry. So you have to understand I'm left handed complimenting him. I'm saying, yeah, it sounded very fitting for the movie and that's why i felt like it was uninspired it still sounds fucking great don't get me wrong <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> you should understand i can't be casual about this brian <laughs> i am praising the, him and criticizing him simultaneously it is possible to do both like oh i wouldn't God. be i think that they should take that score and they should just play it on a loop out of speakers that they build into the Lincoln Memorial's torso, so it's just yeah. blasting at you while you sit there, and you have no choice but to, to cry, kneel, or a combination of both. Why just the torso, you know. Sean? Okay, you know what you guys should do? Listen <laughs> it's to just the largest area. I want big subwoofers and shit in there. Listen to one of the more like big crescendo-y melodic movements in the score for Lincoln, and then do yourself a favor and look up the score to fucking soaring over California, and. Oh. Okay, and then you'll hear what Didn't I'm talking John about. Do the score to Soaring Over California. I'm pretty sure he did, and you'll yeah, hear what I'm talking the about. First, the first time I went on that ride as an adult, I cried because the score was so touching and beautiful. Actually, oh. now I have to look this up now. The real Soaring Over California would be like you're soaring over the San Fernando Valley while several porn shoots are happening next to pools and backyards. <laughs> and you then you oranges. cut to. You're flying over uh, forest uh, near Humboldt County, and you can see people tending to their weed plants. Show the real California. <laughs> you're flying over Mendocino, where all the meth labs are blowing up yeah, simultaneously. You're, fl <laughs> you're flying over Sacramento, and you feel nothing, just like everyone in Sacramento. Yeah, you're flying over Bakersfield, and you're flying over Bakersfield. And you're flying over Bakersfield because it goes on forever. <laughs> and you're flying, hey, and you're flying, and you're There's flying. another Foster's Freeze. Oh, that one has a heroin addict. <laughs> ODing in the back. If you're from Bakersfield, I'm so sorry. Not for our jokes, but for you. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> um, okay, so actually it was not 
John Williams. It was Jerry Goldsmith who wrote the score from Soaring Over California. Uh, ah, Dime Store, John Williams. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you shut your fucking mouth, dude. Family Dollar, John Williams. Jerry Goldsmith, you realize, is like one of the greatest, one of the greatest composers of the 20th century. You realize Jerry, that. Jerry, you, 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 you son of a bitch. You know not of what you speak, Sean. I'm just saying. But that being said. Oh, I'm sorry. He's no junkie XL or fucking Brian Tyler. <laughs> junkie XL. <laughs> junkie no XL's been in a ton of fucking. They're like, you know what we need here? Some loud, upsetting techno to mix Who's... into this Danny Elfman score. Can I honestly, <laughs> can I just play a couple of segments from each so you can hear what I'm talking about? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Thank you. I can smell the oranges. This... Oh, take me back to Disneyland now, goddammit. <laughs> you have that. Now let's pull up a bit from Lincoln. Seriously. I'm ready to smell the oranges and horse shit. I just feel like when I'm listening to both of these musics that I'm watching a Ken okay, Burns so documentary. That's what I you, feel okay, like. So That's what also, I feel like. Yeah, Ken Burns, by the way, amazing Civil War documentary. You should all watch it. And but you read. just talked about something that plays on a ride that lasts three minutes, so all the music has to be quick and stuff. And then you tried to get a snippet from a two-and-a-half-hour movie where the movie, the entire movie is scored, and when you can't actually see what's going on, you're not hearing the music. Now. As we talked about the subtlety before, there had to be subtlety to match the subtlety in Lincoln's persona and the way that he said things with such gravitas, but at the same time wasn't yelling them at anybody. Mm. Like, I think that the music fits him as a man perfectly, and I think that that was mindfully composed by John Williams to match that perfectly. Yeah, well said. So just because well, it doesn't stick in your head, and so. it's not something you could put on when you run like I do with... Raiders of the Lost Ark soundtrack and catch me if you can. That is totally. Just imagine that Tom Hanks hey, that is, is chasing me and I'm and when I'm when I'm on the treadmill and I always wear a uh, a Pan Am. You know, I always wear a Pan Am hat and uh -huh. jacket. <laughs> when you go jogging on the okay. treadmill. Mm -hmm. When I go jogging okay, on the treadmill yeah. and I, I'm holding fake checks that I just made and then a guy that looks like Tom Hanks runs on a treadmill behind me and it really motivates me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what. You're making totally fair points. So, <laughs> and then I was making that, I as was ridiculous doing, as they are. I was actually running in place, sort of like you feel. It feels like you're running at an incredible rate, Harry. Like the thing from yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, do we have any final thoughts we want to share on this frenetic review of Roxy, Lincoln? I know that you were just doing some of the research. Did you want to kind of talk about some of the historical controversies with people that were like hardcore historians and how they felt about uh, elements of the movie that probably were framed incorrectly? Mm, nope. I don't know the things you do, so please, why don't you go ahead and, and take it on? <laughs> Although this movie is absolutely amazing and I love it, there were a couple historical inaccuracies that I thought were pretty important to mention. Um, one was that um, they, the role that, that African Americans at the time had in um, pushing the 13th Amendment 
is almost completely gone. You, we don't see a lot of, of, of how integral uh, members of the black community were into pushing this forward. Um, earlier drafts of the script had this uh, almost be a movie that was not just about Lincoln, but about Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's relationship and how he was integral in it. And he's in it for what? How, how, the, the guy that plays Frederick Douglass in that moment is what? Like a minute or two in the movie? Mm, I don't recall, but it wasn't a very long scene. And I don't know if that's why, if if Spielberg just didn't have enough time to try to to convey everything he needed to about these last four months of Lincoln's life, but I feel like, especially with something that is such a big deal for, you know, black Americans, that maybe incorporating their efforts more would have been prudent. Um, Another historical uh, fact that they kind of left out, sorry, okay, was that if the, the the 13th amendment didn't originate with lincoln and they don't really talk about in 1864 the the organization of the women's national loyal league of abolitionist women were a huge part of pull it, putting that forward and i'm like really i'm like come on bro you can't fuck the blacks and the ladies at the same time <laughs> i mean unless you're in those pornos we were talking about that are happening next to pools in the san fernando valley oh but wow. that's in a different that means something different so I thought that those two, and that's that's from the runes at Wikipedia, and I, I thought, it, it, I loved this movie so much when I first saw it, and honestly, before today, I hadn't seen it since I saw it in the theater once, because, I mean, it's a long one, and it's heavy, so it's not something that you watch every, like, it's not like Batman and Robin, where I can watch it every other day. It's a long one, and it's heavy, <laughs> huh, Sean? It's long, and it's heavy, and it's between <laughs> Lincoln's <laughs> legs. It's the Lincoln Log. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But, so I just um, thought it, it disappointed me a little bit to know those things. And I know that uh, it's it's not always um, I, I, I always want to give the benefit of the doubt and say it wasn't done intentionally, but I the omissions. But at the same time, I'm like, that's part of the problem is, is not framing things properly when um, you're supposed to be doing your due diligence, giving people the credit that they deserve. Not thinking about, oh, we might need to incorporate this, especially considering all the research that they did, is 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 yeah. just as bad. And I feel like if that movie was made uh, in 10 years from now, those elements would be very, very prevalent. Hmm. Well, you can't make everyone happy, right? Well, there's another, another piece um, that I want to bring up, too, because there's been a lot of debate. Obviously, Lincoln, <laughs> the one thing he's known for aside from like trying to bring peace to this to the country from the civil war was obviously this and some people say that he wasn't as much of a forward thinker as we as we like to remember yeah. him as um he is on the political record it it is factual to say that he had always been anti-slavery mm-hmm. but was wasn't always pro the abolition of slavery for various reasons, and um, it's important to remember that we we don't have enough. I don't think we have enough evidence to say that whether Lincoln was in fact a racist or not. Because to be honest, most white men at that time were racist in one way or another, um, because of just what the knowledge and the attitude toward African Americans. Well, most white men a hundred years from that point in 1965 were also racist. Exactly. So we have to remember context. We also have to remember that Lincoln was a fierce pragmatist. That um, one could argue that if it was better for the country to keep the institution of slavery, 
and he if he thought it was better for the country in the long term, he might have actually been anti-abolition. Yeah. So, um it's thankfully that's not what ended up happening, obviously. But but again, we have to remember that while we choose to honor the man and praise the man for his accomplishments and they do deserve to be praised, that he was a human being, right? And that um that the issues are never black and white. This was this was a, not to be no nah, pun intended. You don't um, intended that pun, it, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> it, that it's it's far more complex than, and the man is was far more complex and is even portrayed in this film. Um, but I do think that it do, it does give a good portrait as to what he was like as a person, and not so much about like a full picture of how he came to these stances. So that's what I would like to. To everybody, end on, honestly, that, you know, everybody is a product of their environment and the context of the times, right? No matter how, unless you're a fucking time traveler or time lord, then you're a product of your time. And I don't even think yeah. Lincoln was immune to the thought processes or the biases of the times. I, I don't, I honestly don't believe that. But I think he's always going to be perceived as somebody who championed and championed human rights because he did. He did a hell of a lot more than a lot of those other white dudes did for those, you know, for the slaves and whatnot. So I, I think in that way, he'll always be revered for what he did to advocate for them as opposed to continue to perpetrate um, the racism of the times. Uh, and I think with that, that's a great place. For us to transition out of the topic. No, it's um, not. Because you know what, Brian? We're not robots. So we're going to do it naturally. Let's get to some fucking feedback. Here. Listener feedback. Yeah. So on our um, most recent post for Valentine's Day featuring everybody's favorite ladies man, Mr. Leon Phelps. Um, uh, user Rhodes, oh, Rhonda Rhodes, um, had a good laugh at our expense. Thanks, Rhonda. Oh, Rhonda Rhodes. Rhonda that, Rhodes. Oh, so Rhonda is one of my mother's friends from high school, and I played baseball with her sons for years. That's cute. We used to go to this huge pig roast party at their house. That woman, that woman helped raise me, essentially. Aww. Not so much Brian. Brian was busy in the corner playing Power Rangers by himself. <laughs> and then that's true i only did i only did t-ball nice. for a year and but actually also it's important to remember that Rhonda is a, a very close friend of my mom's they still um hang out and are in touch with each other so i'm actually really happy that she follows us and i'm also a little and creeped out because we say ladies, some stuff that's not when those two ladies start walking down the street you can hear bottles of chardonnay shivering in fear <laughs> <laughs> okay you guys we have to address the biggest controversy of 2019 which I think we all know what that is at this point. Um, it includes uh, our buddy Steven Rosenberg from Motion Picture Meltdown. Oh, Jaws Gate. Jaws Gate 2019, Why the y'all. fuck was I not invited to this episode? <laughs> I see how it Man, is, guys. Culpa. I see how it is. He's so pissed, is. you guys. He's so pissed. <laughs> and I was... Well, he's not that pissed because like, I'm going on Motion Picture Meltdown nice. next month, so... At first I thought maybe he was going to be really pissed because we did a terrible disservice to that movie by not talking about it very much and not really offering any insight. Are you and kidding me, that, Sean? That was Our not a good episode. Our movie title segment was so fucking great, though. The shark part, yeah, that was funny, but like we didn't talk about the fucking movie or the production. We did, we just did Lincoln very, very well. We butt-raped fucking Jaws. Yeah, well, we had fun on Jaws. <laughs> so that's though. why I don't feel bad about having Steven on for us to do Jaws the episode redo 
where we can also talk about the sequels. Because between me and Steven, I think we know a lot about the Jaws movies. He's the only person I know that loves that movie and knows more about the Jaws mythos than me, probably. Huh. Well, there you have it. Okay, there that's fair. It. And then as far as the rest of our Instagram goes, I can say, honestly, I'll jump all the way back to Halloween and uh, mention that Laura commented on our Halloween post about our costumes and she said, Rogue, the real badass one. I'm still waiting for that reboot. She's referring to Sarah's Rogue costume from the X-Men. Uh, which Sarah completely murdered amazingly, yeah. by the way. She looked and badass. Yeah, she nailed yeah, she it. She didn't just well, nail that. She, she nailed she... Reed. Well, she nailed Reed later on after they were drunk, but she You're nailed Reed's Gambit right. costume as well. <laughs> yeah, Reed had a, a, a stellar, because I saw this in person, of course. He had an amazing 90s full-on with trench coat and the headpiece oh Gambit he costume, and it was fantastic. So yeah, he did <laughs> He had to stay outside at our party because it was he was just dying in that thing. (laughs) He did, yeah, he did indeed. Um, he did, and you know, thank you, Roxy, for bringing up Instagram because we don't talk about our Instagram followers enough, and we need to give them some love because we need to give all three hundred and seventy nine of them some serious love and TLC. (laughs) Honestly, we had when I checked their. Instagram, like, oh, we have more followers than oh I remember. God, right? Oh my god, right? <laughs> and, and by so, the day, our follower count is growing. So thank you, everyone. That's because you've been posting, yeah. Roxy, and we appreciate you for doing I that. I appreciate you appreciating me. And now I you got to start doing either. the stories. Just start doing stories in the middle of the day. Just be like, hey, Roxy here. <laughs> I'm having a job of juice, flicking the bean out here in the middle of the highway because I'm dangerous. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Honestly, dude, it would just be me be posting a bunch of videos of my dog. Like Scotty would yes. just be the main feature. He already is on my own Instagram. Um, but yeah. that's all for now. <laughs> Indeed. And you know, um, thank you guys. Another Spielberguary in Aww. books. Thank you. Thank you for the feedback. I'm looking forward to the Oscars oh this year. Even though it's because it's gonna be very, very interesting with there being <gasps> Well, it's because, well, well, so they, thankfully today they just announced that they are not using, they're going to make their horrible decision of having four of the awards done during commercial break and then recapping them during the telecast. I like they already did that um, anyway in the day, like back in the day. No, they, they only do it with the science uh, awards. And that's because the science awards take place on a different yeah, date right. no, where they I recap that, it. Yeah. Um, so they were going to do that for... Of course, editing, cinematography, makeup, and hair. And then um, there was one more category uh, that they were going to do so it for. So for the uh, science uh, awards, for me. like new science breakthroughs in, uh, is it, I imagine that they just get a gala together and like it's just two hours of them giving awards to James Cameron. <laughs> right. <laughs> sort of. Here's an award um, for the new camera so thankfully- you invented. Here's an award for the new boom yeah. mic you invented. So thankfully. for having a penis. That's. Yeah, so thankfully that's not happening. Um, but you know we haven't had uh, a hostless Oscars in thirty wow. years, so it'll be very interesting to see how this plays yeah. out. And um, you can definitely look forward to our recapping of the Oscars uh, that will be dropping the day after on the twenty fifth. So it will be a week from when this episode drops. It'll be fairly rare because we don't usually release episodes week to week anymore. Nope. So. An extra treat to, to, to cap off the month, yeah. at least. So there you have that. 
Um, I'm going to miss you, Sean, because you know, this is the thing. I want can't you to be there. do the night of the Oscars anymore because I got my wife into the Oscars, and now it's a night where it's like, no, this is our night together. He's There's nothing like, yeah, sorry. We'll like, be doing this is his our wife. Night it's okay. We can forgive yeah, him. Yeah, and God you can't forbid just, we do the you, wrap up the day after the fucking Oscars. It has to happen right after. <laughs> yes, it has to. It you has to. Fresh reaction. Because it's just how we do things. You remember? I think that also, no, honestly, I, Sean, I you can't. We do a disservice to the Oscar podcast by doing it right after without hearing all of the thousands of opinions and maybe different perspectives on controversy uh, about the Oscars. Being able to absorb some of that afterwards and maybe give it a day or two would probably be a good idea eh. you know uh, eh. i i would be more interested to see if you could try to get katie drunk enough to just come on the show <laughs> with you a hell of a time. nope <laughs> i've asked her a couple no? times she's like no i don't want to fucking people to hear me say terrible things do you things. guys remember when we went live on facebook <laughs> after um uh, uh which one after the mistake, yeah. it, it was with um, La La Land and with um, yeah. Moonlight. Yes. That was some I remember that podcasting. <laughs> we that was some crazy shit. Balls, man. I loved it. So, yeah. we'll, you know, we'll yeah. have more shit like that for in, in store for you guys. Honestly. <laughs> Would you expect any less from us? I mean, really. Yeah, we actually might. Actually, that'd be kind of fun if we did little short videos to be thrown on the social media as we're watching. That could be interesting. Yeah, that could be fun. It's our way. It's our way of doing a live episode without doing a full fucking three-hour live episode, <laughs> uh, like we used to do. Those were so, days. indeed. So um, but you know, listeners, <laughs> even though feedback was light this episode, we appreciate every bit of feedback. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you want to be a feedbacker, which you can do, is you can go to neuronomy.com and you can click on that talk to us link, which will send us all an, uh, an email to our inboxes. While you're at Nerdonomy.com, you can do a couple things. You can um, give us a donation, which goes to keeping the give podcast running. Give us some fucking money, assholes. <laughs> sure. Uh, you can also give us other forms of feedback, for example, like uh, a voicemail or uh, send a letter to our P.O. box. iTunes All that rating. stuff is posted rating. there. Rate us on iTunes. Or iTunes yeah. rating. Exactly. Indeed. Um, follow us on our, inter- <laughs> on our on interwebs. On our cyber web applications. At Nerdonomy. Exactly. Follow us on our... Follow us on our cyber spaces. Just uh, Google Nerdonomy and you'll find us. I promise you. Um, Say Alexa, Nerdonomy. Oh, my God, Sean. You just woke up every Alexa in every listener's <laughs> home. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> if they're listening without headphones, yeah. Um, but the most important thing you can do, of course, is please spread the word of nerd like a bird turd. Okay? Okay. Spread the word of nerd like the telegraph spread instructions during the Civil War, wow. which was actually pretty fast. It, it they were able to get instructions in minutes versus days. You're a fucking so, nerd, Brian Moriarty. You, you know the the telegraph was the beginning of the oh internet. It was like the great grandfather of the internet. What? So the telegraph couldn't say the Titanic, could it? Could it, Brian? No, no, it couldn't. No, it could say the Titanic. It couldn't. No, it couldn't. Um, except for maybe people changing the codes for how what flares meant, but that's a different. Oh my episode. god! Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Okay, okay. So yeah, don't get me started. Okay, but anyway, guys, we we want to we want to get to our weekends, and we're having a little too much Ryan, fun, so we have to get out of here. Pontiferbating. You fucking pontiferbater! You're a chronic pontiferbater. Until we meet again, stay nerdy. Tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Yeah. And roll credits.
And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Shall we stop this bleeding? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh Christ. My God, that's painful. It was between that and <laughs> slavery, sir, is done. <laughs> the bleeding one got me.